Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. All right, Tony, it's good to be back with you. Um, how is it going? I know it was good for us to see each other. We, we talked about this, I think, the last time. We actually got to see each other face-to-face for the long time, for the first time in a long time, but uh, how have you been since then? I've been doing well, so I've uh, been wrapping up the summer, which is good. Uh, it's been a really busy season, the summer at our church, uh, but uh, it'll be good to have uh, kind of get back more to the norm in the fall, uh, although I am feeling uh, pretty old when I saw that 29-year-old Andrew Luck retired, and I'm kind of wondering if uh, maybe I made the wrong career choice. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's not on the horizon for me yet either, um, but maybe maybe you could go back practicing, you know, hit some roughs in the weight room. Um, well, speaking of sports, you know, baseball's winding down. I, I don't really watch very much. I just sort of watch the, the highlights. Um, but do you remember the Marlins of the, the late 90s and the early 2000s? You know, they'd win the World Series, and then they'd just sell everybody and then repeat the process. Now they're just bad. Uh, they're not quite as bad as your Orioles, but they're pretty bad. And some might question the wisdom of that business model, you know, but there's no exact science to managing a big enterprise like that. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions. Um, You know, you try to make real-time, long-term decisions as you go, and you look for good outcomes. Uh, But that leads us into our topic for today about teaching, learning, and wisdom and the fear of the Lord. I don't know how much fear of the Lord was going on there, but uh, the wisdom maybe applied, maybe it didn't. Uh, but for that, we've brought in someone, he's an expert on biblical wisdom, and we've got Dr. Dan Estes. He was reared in a pastor's home, and his parents taught him the gospel, and he came to Christ at an early age, which really fits well into what we want to focus on on this podcast. Um, and then the Lord used a number of experiences in his life to build into him. Now he's a Bible professor at Cedarville University, and he says he considers it a privilege to do for others what so many godly mentors did for him. So, Dan, welcome to the TFM podcast. Oh, great to be on. Yeah, we really appreciate you giving us uh, your time and your expertise on this topic. Um, and you've written a number of books related to Old Testament wisdom literature, and including you've written a recent commentary on the Psalms I've seen. Uh, but for our purposes today, there's a book that I picked up and had seen for a long time, had wanted to read, and finally got it and read it. And it's Here, My Son, Teaching and Learning in Proverbs 1 to 9. Um, and you said, uh, just saw this on your bio at Cedarville, that a key part of your life's mission is to build God's truth into the next generation. And that really fits with um, what this podcast is all about, not just this episode, but just the things that we pursue. Um, so as we get into this conversation, what is the fear of the Lord, and what does it have to do with learning and teaching uh, younger people? Well, when we think of the word fear, uh, I think the... Um the kind of ideas that, that immediately come to mind, or being terrified, being afraid, frightened, uh, Halloween, things of that sort. But, uh, but the idea of fear of the Lord uh, is a concept that you find throughout the wisdom literature, and it means have re- uh, reverence, respect, awe, uh, a healthy regard for God, 
that uh, causes us to draw close to him uh, in faith, in obedience, uh, seeking to learn his way and to walk in it. That's good. That's a very helpful, succinct definition. Is there anything that, that can be done in the home to help young people to gain and to grow in that fear of the Lord? Well, there are a lot of things that can be done in the home, either to help children to learn about the fear of the Lord or to help them not learn about the fear of the Lord. Uh, it starts with the example of the parents. Uh, it's very difficult for parents, on the one hand, to say, you need to obey the Lord when their children see them not obeying the Lord. Uh, you need to do what the Bible says, but they aren't living as the Bible says. And so it really starts with the example of the parents. And then closely related to that is the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, teaching their children what God's Word says, so that they know who the Lord is and what the Lord requires. Wonderful. Uh, great. Again, I want to, I also want to thank you, Dan, for uh, coming on the podcast today. So we're really blessed and glad to have you on today. I, I want to kind of uh, relate it to what Ben asked about. Given that Proverbs assumes a fear of the Lord as a starting point for learning and viewing the world, what can parents and church workers do in our current cultural context in which basic truths and worldview foundations are really so contested? It's never been easy to teach the next generation the fear of the Lord. Uh, we tend to focus on the fact that it's so difficult in today's world. It's just that today's world, we see it a little bit more explicitly in, in your face than what it was a generation or two ago. But the world has never been a place that's friendly to God or to his people. And so I think we have to be careful. We don't long for the good old days when it was easy to rear children it was always a challenge for parents. But it's particularly that, that way in the 21st century because in a very real way, we're living in a post-Christian world, even an anti-Christian world, where the cultural consensus is not some type of, of uh, Christianized uh, approach to life, but rather it's, there's, there's a set of values, a set of, of assumptions, set of expectations that are diametrically opposed to what God's Word says. And, and so we can't simply assume that children are going to pick up some type of Christian values uh, through their culture when they go to school or when they watch television or read books or hang out with friends because it's not going to happen unless we're intentional about it. That's a great reminder. Yeah, I think that intentionality is something that we can sometimes, I think, assume, but I mean, in so many different ways, we uh, really forget, especially when you compare the wisdom of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord in that kind of way, to, and Proverbs to how we live our lives. And I appreciate the reminder, too, that it's not that things have been rocking along smoothly, and then all of a sudden we live in a particularly wicked time. Um, but like you said, it's uh, always God and his people have always been opposed by the world. And so ever since... Genesis 3. So that is a good reminder. So we've already talked about the just the cultural starting point where there's there's opposition, but what other obstacles do you see standing in the way of readily pursuing this vision of teaching and learning that's presented in Proverbs 1 to 9? And how can parents and church leaders work within the reality of these obstacles? I think one factor that has become increasingly problematic in the last generation is, is how pervasive 
uh, the media is, social media is, uh, the amount of time that's consumed in those pursuits by children, it doesn't leave a lot of time for nurturing them in the things of Christ. I have seen so many kids that are just uh, addicted to their cell phones and to their, their tablets. And uh, many times parents will use those as uh, just something to keep their kids occupied. And those are all opportunities lost. And once those, once those opportunities are lost, we can never regain them. And so I think that's a factor that, that parents and teachers are contending with, that we really need to think carefully. Now, we, we give our children a tablet when they're six, or we give them a cell phone when they're 10. Uh, and what's happening with that? What are the implications of that? Teaching and learning takes leisurely time. You can't simply say, oh, we're going to cram it into these few minutes that we're going to make available to it. Uh, it, it comes from having that walk with the child. And in the midst of that walk, being able to point out aspects of, of God's world and God's word and talking about life, that doesn't happen when the child is on the tablet and you're not having that walk with them. And so we're going to really have to think about what are we doing with the opportunities that we do have? What are the things that are making it difficult for us to have those times, those teachable uh, moments where we can really build into our children? That's good. A little insider baseball uh, on one of these questions. Most of these questions written by Ben, uh, but I was just really thinking the next question. I just think it's uh, such an important question, uh, and especially relating it to our culture. Uh, you mentioned like tablets, and uh, recently I was watching an educational thing that was advertising a kids' curriculum that teaches the Bible, and it says all you have to do is put them in front of their iPad. Uh, and uh, and you'll disciple the next generation, basically. I think that's something you don't agree with. Uh, and so I do want to ask, <laughs> ultimately, how transferable is the pedagogical approach of uh, Proverbs 1 through 9 to our contemporary Western society? When I started writing on Proverbs 1 to 9, I, I started with, um, with a question. And that is... Uh, I knew that there was a lot of educational language in Proverbs 1 to 9, but I wondered if a, um, a philosopher of education were to work with this text and ask the basic pedagogical questions, what does a teacher do? What does a learner do? What's the curriculum? What's the goals for education? What are the values for education? What would that look like? And so that's, that's where I started in my, for my book. And what I found, uh, to my surprise, is that when you look at what Proverbs has to say about education, it is saying some of the same things that good educators have said throughout history. This is not something that is archaic. It's not something passe. It's something that is exceedingly relevant for life today. And so I would encourage people, parents, teachers, others, to look seriously at what Proverbs 1 to 9 has to say about education because it is exceedingly appropriate for how we approach education in the 21st century. That is helpful. And I, just to, to summarize for those who may not be familiar with Proverbs 1 to 9, it gives kind of the overall framework of viewing the world before then getting into chapters 10 to 31 that are the pithy, memorable sayings like a, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, or um, some say, Train up, a train up a child in his own way, however we're going to translate that. But uh, it gives the, the basic worldview framework. And so um, 
what Dan has done in the in his work here is to just give a uh, an overview of the assumptions underlying that that teaching method. And so it is a helpful read. It, it's a I mean, it is a somewhat scholarly work, but it, it's also meant to be accessible to people. It doesn't have um, footnotes that go on for three pages and, and things like that. Um, and so it is a, a helpful work that I would commend for your reading and use. So, Dan, according to those first nine chapters of Proverbs, what type of values ought parents seek to instill in their children? And in your experience, um, in your church, uh, in the students that you're receiving at a university, uh, which you've seen a, a few generations of, I guess now, do you see that happening widely? Well, ultimately, wisdom is all about enabling people to become the kind of people God wants them to be. So much of education now is preparing people to be able to have a certain kind of, of status, position, skills, uh, is very pragmatic. But Proverbs is all about character. That is the primary character, developing the good quality of life as God measures goodness. Uh, I'm afraid that a lot of parents have, have defaulted to what our culture's assumption is, that the educated person is the person who can get a good income in a good job and have the good life. Proverbs talks about a good life, but it's not that kind of good life. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of life that honors God, that uh, is a life of character, a life of integrity, uh, a life that uh, of obedience, a life that loves God fully and loves others fully. Uh, that's the kind of life that God wants us to develop. Yeah. Now, I want to ask a follow what if a learner child or a teenager is unwilling to pay attention and listen to wisdom. Surely uh, there are many cases where people don't listen to wisdom, and, and does perhaps Proverbs even address that? Oh, it certainly does, uh, because Proverbs is addressed both to the wise, those who are disposed toward responding to God positively, and to those who are fools, those who are disposed to, to blow God off. We've always had those two kinds of people. And much of Proverbs is really differentiating between those kind of people, the paths they take, and the destinations those paths lead to. One of the major things that we find in Proverbs is that parents, teachers, they have a role to play. And uh, they can't simply uh, assume that, oh, the students will just turn out fine without me. But also, the students, the children, they have a role to play. The role of the learner is every bit as important as the role of the teacher. Uh, I have found, as a, I've taught now for 35 years at Cedarville, and uh, my greatest joy comes from those students who are teachable. They are responsive. They learn and they grow and they carry on. I, I sometimes see them come back when they bring their children to college and to be able to see how they've grown over years. My greatest grief is from those students that were not teachable. And they did not live up to their responsibility as far as their role as a student. Uh, they did not receive God's wisdom. They didn't accept it. They didn't value it. They didn't assimilate it. And consequently, rather than turning out wise, they have turned out foolish. And that is a, that's a deep grief for me as a teacher. And I sometimes wonder, is there something else I could have done that would have made a difference? But I also know that I can do everything. That's my responsibility. And yet there is a role of the learner that 
also is played out. This is why you can have a family with several children, and some of them may be responsive and turn out to glorify God, and other children in the very same family, hearing the same teaching, seeing the same modeling, choose not to do that. And it's a grief to parents, but it's because that role of the learner has not been played out properly. Thank you. So many young people today, and I'm sure you've, I don't know, maybe you've experienced and observed a shift in the 35 years that you've been teaching, but uh, younger people are suspicious or probably increasingly suspicious of all forms of authority. Um, So how can churches grapple with this reality while seeking to impart wisdom to them, knowing that they may question this authoritative teaching, uh, but at the same time trying to, to get it through? It's true that young people are suspicious of authority. And the reason for that is because so many of the authorities that they've seen have not been authentic. They are craving authenticity. And if we can live authentic lives, really living out the values of God's word, really living out the values of wisdom, they want to see that. And they are all ears when that kind of person is speaking to them. So it really goes back to the people who are in leadership, people who are parents, teachers, pastors, we have to make sure that we're being people who are authentic, people of integrity, people who are the real deal. That is what they're looking for. Yeah, that's that's important. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great, and I think it's especially relevant because I, I suspect a lot of younger people are, are suspicious because, I mean, we've made them suspicious. Uh, you know, even seeing uh, that church headlines of, of leaders within the church that have led less than uh, high-integrity lives, and I, I think it naturally makes uh, younger people suspicious in that kind of way. So that's important wisdom there. It uh, is, and it's so basic, but it's a good reminder. I mean, you from your sweet spot in wisdom literature, the end of Ecclesiastes, you know, all, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, and that's that's for the teacher and the learner. Now, in contrast to this approach that you have, the learner-centered model has become very popular, uh, which really meshes with postmodern thinking and its effects. Is that a biblical approach to teaching wisdom and spiritual truth? That's a fascinating question. And I'm going to give you an answer that you probably aren't expecting. Uh, It's very easy to differentiate between teacher-centered models of education and learner-centered models of education. And you can find examples of these going all the way back to ancient times. We often presume that the biblical model is the teacher-centered model. And, uh, And so the teacher is the big jug and the students are the little mugs. And the responsibility of the teacher is to pour in all the facts. Or the teacher is the sculptor, and the student is just, you know, the chunk of granite that gets worked on. Or the teacher is the molder, and the student is a, is a, is a clay that's, that's manipulated. Well, there certainly are aspects of the, the teacher-involved uh, role. But uh, there are also aspects of the learner being involved. And, and so some of the, the learner-centered models... Uh, the teacher as a midwife drawing out what is already there in the student. That, that was something that, that Plato actually uh, spoke about in one of his dialogues in 500, 500 BC. The teacher as the facilitator, making learning simple. The teacher as the gardener, uh, cultivating the soil and providing the nutrients so that 
that the learner can, can grow. When I looked at the philosophy of education in Proverbs 1 to 9, and then compared it to teacher-centered model, learner-centered model, I found that it was somewhere in the middle and actually was a little closer to the learner-centered model than to the, than, than the teacher-centered model. And so I think we have to be careful that we don't assume that, oh, if it's, if it's recent or if it's kind of what's being talked about now, it can't be right. Uh, we always have to evaluate everything based upon what the scriptures have to say. We have to be Bereans. And let the scriptures then evaluate all the teaching models that are out there and say to what extent are the teaching-centered models in keeping with what the Bible has to say? To what extent can we draw things from a learner-centered model? And so rather than saying one is right, one is wrong, one's good, one's bad, realize that there are aspects of these that, that do overlap with what the Bible has to say. And there are aspects of both of them that, that uh, go against what the Bible has to say. That's a thoughtful answer, and I, I appreciate that. I Keeping with the, the Acts reference there about being Bereans, there are some circles that they're like the Athenians. Anything that's new must be good and better. Other circles, if, if it's new, it must be bad. Uh, and so it's, you want to hold it up and evaluate it in light of the Word of God. So, Dan, how can both parents and church teachers impart biblical wisdom in a compelling way? Um, and how might that strategy morph as children age and develop? Well, it's interesting when you when you look in Proverbs uh, 1 to 9 that uh, there are a number of teaching strategies that, that the teachers use. And they, they range anything from a, a, a lecture, that this is just how it is, all the way up to uh, an invitation where the learner is put in a position where, okay, you have, to, you have to make a decision here. Most of the, of the material in Proverbs provides uh, a challenge, an exhortation, with some type of reasoning. And when you look all of that together, you realize that early on in the learning process, there, there has to be a pretty high level of direction. Uh, that actually speeds up the learning process. But Ultimately, you want that learner, whether it be a student or a, a child that you have, to be able to live with independent competence before the Lord. Uh, we have to launch them. And so education needs to make that transition from uh, where the teacher is pretty much in control to where the learner is involved more and more so that ultimately that learner can be launched and is able to stand and, and make good decisions on his own before the Lord. And so it's really a, a process of, of letting go, but it has to be timed such that it's not too quick, it's not too slow. If you, if you let the students go too quickly, then they can easily go off the rails. If you try to hold on the, to them to, so, too long, they can become resentful and just reactionary. And, and so it's, it's really an art, and, and of course this varies child by child, student by student, and wise parents need to know how to guide their, their, their children along, wise teachers need to know how to guide their students along, so that it's just the right pace of, of shifting the responsibility onto the student or to the child. That's helpful. That, that's interesting, your answer. I, uh, 
uh, for my ministry, I really worked more with children ministry, children's ministry for a while, and now I've worked more with youth, so I'm over at children's ministry as well. And that what you say is just so true and helpful to reality. And I remember actually about a year ago, I conversed with uh, somebody who had left, uh, graduated out of a different youth group, uh, and kind of become kind of cynical. And he described youth ministry as this kind of basically as a uh, as a bunch of purity lessons repeated over and over uh, without any interaction from the youth and and I think that that is not in line with what you understand this this biblical model to be for parents though or even teachers how often are better uh, when should they appeal to their own authority wisdom credibility summed up in uh, because I told you so well there's a world of difference between telling a two-year-old don't touch the socket because I told you so. And telling a college freshman, you need to major in XYZ because I told you so. Uh, those are very different cases. And, and so it, it, we have to think about what is the risk to this child? Where is this child developmentally? Because ultimately, we want that child to be able to make good decisions. I mean, I, I fear for the college student that leaves home and for the first time in his or her life has to make a decision because mom and dad isn't there and they haven't had a chance to practice making decisions. Uh, what parents need to do as their children are going through the, through the, the high school time, middle school, high school, is they need to step back a bit and rather than just being the lecturer, being the, the expert, say, now, let's talk about this. Let me share some thoughts about it, but I want to hear your thoughts. How are you working through this? And, and consult with them and guide them into making good decisions. The primary metaphor for the teacher in Proverbs is the guide. It's not someone who is always just telling what has to be done, but guiding that student down the path and then pointing him, saying, now, I've, I can't walk down the path any, any further with you. But you've learned how to analyze the path, and I'm pointing you in the right direction, but now you're going to have to make the decisions further down this path. That, that is a, a good distinction to make. Um, and there are a number of helpful resources out there for parents that talk about shepherding the child's heart. And I mean, just to name a title, uh, and it is an excellent book, but other books of that, I guess that bent, that are looking at dealing with heart issues and not simply uh, modifying a child's behavior, but that does have to morph over time and becomes more responsibilities put on the child. Uh, and then, like you said, with a two-year-old, that's not the time to to reason and give um, explanations and things like that. Um, the authority of the, the parent just needs to stand. So, Dan, conservative Christians in the West have had a tendency to teach certain practices, which Tony just alluded to, um, that you know, they're not necessarily explicit in Scripture as the way, um, but especially as it relates to teenagers. So there's certain implications we've drawn for how we should live the Christian life. And we've imported those and said, well, if you do these things, we know that you're, you're walking godly. Uh, but how can church ministries as well as parents work to shape the character of young people and build personal conviction and not just simply pass on information about uh, doctrine and or practice and say, well, here, this is how you're supposed to do it and, and go on. You know, I think a lot of these practices, whether they be 
positive or, or negative, uh, start out with good intentions. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense that we, we know that there's great risk, and so we're going to build some fences to make sure that, that, um, that our child doesn't you know, fall off the cliff. But unfortunately, sometimes we start building fences and build more fences and more fences, and we forget why those fences are there. Uh, and it's all about the fences. And children grow up confused because they say, well, what are these fences all about? And the parents perhaps have forgotten what they're all about. Uh, and, and just the fact that you don't go over a fence doesn't necessarily mean you're where you ought to be. And, and so I, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion sometimes where, you know, we, certainly we want our children to grow up with sexual purity. But just because they do this and don't do that and don't do that, it, it may not necessarily mean that they are sexually pure in their heart, in their mind at all. They, must, they may just be, you know, tremendously boring people that uh, don't have a life. Uh, and so we, we have to be, be careful that we, we really keep the main issue the main issue. And we're, our, our purpose is to develop in our children the kinds of convictions that are in keeping with reverence for the Lord. Not just a certain set of behaviors that look as though they are consistent with, with, with that kind of response to the Lord. Now, how has your interaction with this section of Scripture affected your own teaching, uh, such as with the emerging adults in your university setting? I imagine it's had a sizable impact on your approach. It really has. I, I wrote this book early on in my teaching ministry, uh, back in 1997, and um, just, I think it was last spring, I went back, I had a chance to, to go back and read through the book again, and I was stunned by how much it had just shaped every area of my teaching. Uh, it, it was just, it, it's amazing, it, which, when you think of it, that is kind of, duh, <laughs> shouldn't it, you know? <laughs> uh, it, but, you know, how I view my own role as a teacher how I view the role of the learners, what I expect from them, uh, how I shape the curriculum, the values I have. I mean, these are all things that, how I speak to them, uh, these are all things that, that I can see very tangible outworkings in my own teaching drawn from what Proverbs 1-9 to has to say. That's awesome. It's Did amazing how that kind of teaching, how it impacts ourselves when we think about that kind of thing. So learning from the wisdom of Proverbs, what should churches seek to teach their young people? Because we've talked about parents and passing on, but what should churches seek to teach them? And, and what should they equip parents to teach their children? Each year when I teach Proverbs, I ask my students, how many of you have heard a series on the book of Proverbs? Or, or tell me what exposure you've had to the book. And I'm surprised and dismayed that most every year it's like less than a quarter. And these are, these are students who've come from good churches, uh, Bible teaching churches. And what that indicates to me is that for all practical purposes, most churches aren't taking the book of Proverbs seriously. And consequently, they are not passing on this resource of wisdom that God has given to us. I'm not sure why that is, because the, the subjects that Proverbs talks about are so relevant to life for people everywhere from children up through older people, and certainly for high schoolers, college students, people that I work with. And so I, I think that 
the number one thing we have to contend with is, is why is it that we're not teaching wisdom from Proverbs? What are we doing in place of that? Uh, what, what are we teaching to our young people? I think the same thing with parents. Uh, the book of Proverbs is so accessible that I'm surprised that, that more parents don't make use of it when, when talking with their children. Uh, this is God's wisdom about what our speech should be like, or our use of money, or our interaction with friends, or the values that ought to drive our life, or how we interact with the people around us, whether it be at school or in business or in the neighborhood. I mean, there are all sorts of relevant topics in Proverbs. And so I think what we have to do is we have to mine this book for the truths that are so exceedingly relevant. That's good. That's helpful. Uh, yes. Now, uh, both Ben and I, uh, we went to the same college, and there was somebody that was kind of a dean at our college that I think would rightly stress is some helpful wisdom that he, he thinks that men and fathers should uh, teach their, uh, their sons and daughters important skills. Specifically, he thought it was important to teach uh, sons and daughters skills like how to change a tire, how to change your oil, and stuff like that. But it is, is it enough? For parents to teach their kids skills and proficiency to operate and flourish in the world, whether it be skills for the trade or whether it be skills for changing a tire, and what's lacking in that approach potentially? A while back, I ran into one of my former students at a conference, and I asked her a question that that really surprised her. Because when you go to scholarly conferences, the first question you ask is, well, where are you? And the second question is, what are you working on? And I asked her a different question. I said, who are you becoming? Mm. That's a question of character that we don't often enough ask. We talk about the skills. We talk about the knowledge. We talk about the outputs. We talk about the status. But who are you becoming? Wisdom is all about that question and being able to answer that question well, that you're becoming the kind of person that fears the Lord. That is such an important question that we all need to ask of our, of our parenting, even those who parent uh, pretty young kids like uh, Ben and I. Dan, thanks again for giving us your time and your insight and just years of pouring over Scripture, teaching students, and your uh, a warm pastor's heart and the wisdom of someone who has uh, parented children. I assume you have grandchildren and, and dealt with a lot of young adults, uh, it really came through, and I think it's going to be a value to our listeners. So thank you again for coming on the TFM podcast. Yes. Well, thanks for asking me. We really appreciate it. So thank you, and God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.